Jesus, you have done great things. We are so grateful for the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, thank you for uh, giving everything that you came down to earth and you came to pursue us, to save us sinners, God. Thank you that you love us, that you're faithful. Jesus, we thank you that we get to be here this morning worshiping you in this room together, knowing that you're present and that you're the high priest, God, that we can come before. Jesus, to you be the glory and the praise. And uh, we uh, ask that these songs and the words that we say today and think and pray, God, that they all be pleasing to you and in your sight, God. Thank you for Redeemer. Thank you for this church. And um, God, I pray that you please uh, work with your spirit in our hearts today, God, to um, help us to know you more. Amen.
pray together. Father God, um, what a gift it is that we get to be yours. Um, God, that you kept us going through the night, uh, that you really do breathe breath into our lungs, God, that you um, sustained us, that you keep us going by your mercy. We thank you for that. God, we praise you. Thank you that you are here, that you are in our midst, that you are with us, that we get to gather here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel free to grab a seat. Is this on? Can you guys hear me all right? We're good. Cool, cool, cool. Sounds good. Well, whether you are um, first time checking us out here this morning or a member, part of the family, uh, this church, we open wide our doors in the name of Jesus. Hope you feel that here this morning. I'm Pete. If I haven't met you yet, I get to serve as community life pastor here. Hope to be able to meet you if I haven't met you yet. Um, we're into taking first steps or next steps here at Redeemer because Jesus, we think, is into that in the business of transforming us uh, from one degree of glory to the next. Um, a simple way to do so, to take a first or a next step, is these orange Connect cards right in front of you. Grab it, fill it out, um, name, contact info. You can drop it at the Connect Center on your way out this morning, or there are two black boxes pinned to the back walls back there. Drop it there, and we will be in touch with you. So that's the Connect card. Um, who here, by raise of hands, has heard of meetups? Meetups? Cool. Good portion. Meetups are, in short, a really cool way to build community by doing what you already like to do. We got a couple of them that have already happened, a couple more, actually four or five or six more off the top of my head that are going to happen in August. We were originally planning on doing kind of a church-wide party in August. We decided to press pause on that and instead to do these things called meetups. Anyone can host one at any time. And the idea is really easy on-ramp into community, whether it's first step or, again, a next step. So we got a whole bunch of ones happening in a couple of weeks. We got ones with moms going to Bloedel Donovan Park with kids five-ish and under. We got um, a couple different golfing ones. We have uh, a Seahawks party at Twin Sisters Brewery. We have a picnic at Boulevard Park. So if you want to connect in with people, meetups are a great way to do that. Again, you can host one. You can go to one. Tons of options there. Let's be a tech-savvy church. We're slowly getting better at this in some ways. And for those who aren't into that, we have other options as well. But if you want, you can get out your phone for a second. Try this. It's probably in your pocket or in the pew next to you or whatever. Get out your phone. This is great. I'm going to do it too. Watch. And pull up the little camera feature. And there's a QR code right there. And if you just hover it over the QR code, a little link will pop up. Click the link and you're off and running. You'll see it takes you right to our event page here um, at the church. Uh, you will see all the different meetups, all the different events going on here at the church. If you want to host a meetup, you can click the host a meetup tab right there. Feel free to RSVP to any or all of the meetups, whatever you want. Again, easy way to build community by doing what you already like to do. With that said, we are going to do a church-wide party in September. So September, uh, Sunday, September 12th at the Benjins home. Um, where are the Benjins? I saw you guys earlier. You want to raise your hand? Fred and Debbie. Debbie's not listening. Debbie, you got to listen. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. I'm just messing with you. So Fred and Debbie's home um, on Sunday, September 12th. We'll get more details with RSVP and that sort of thing. But we're going to do a barbecue. And at the barbecue, we're going to give an opportunity for people who want to be baptized to get baptized. 
really cool. Earlier this week, I think it was Thursday morning, uh, sitting on my back porch, sipping coffee, um, reading through Matthew 28. Some of you might be familiar with this, um, called the Great Commission. And Jesus, um, somewhat fresh after resurrecting from the dead, he's hanging out with some of his friends. The Bible talks about these as disciples. And he, uh, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's kind of doing this, this, this rallying cry to, to some of his friends and how the gospel is going to go forth. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then it goes on and it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The Bible gives us this picture of baptism as for any believer who has been baptized or any believer who will be baptized or any person who's not a believer now who will become a believer and then get baptized. It paints this picture of when someone who's being baptized goes under the water. It represents this union that the believer has with Christ, that the old person before you knew Jesus, that old you before Christ is dead. And that when you pop up out of the water, that the Bible teaches that baptism, it is symbolic of that you have newness of life in Christ through faith in him. And baptism, the Bible teaches, doesn't save you. It doesn't make you right with God. It is instead, it's a spiritual milestone in the life of every believer that we get to celebrate that God has saved you. Super cool. Let me give you kind of three categories of people. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized. You love Jesus, you responded to his call, um, and you haven't been baptized yet. Jesus' invitation that we see in Matthew 28 is to believe and then to be baptized. If you're here and you know Jesus, love Jesus, haven't been baptized yet, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, 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 I'm thinking about following Jesus. I've heard the gospel, I heard that God saves sinners, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the brink, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I want to follow Jesus and give my life to him. And believe in him. If that's you, we'd love to have a, a conversation with you. If you're here and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I've had a lot of, lots of conversations with people like, man, I don't know. Maybe I grew up in the church. I don't really know what I believe. Trying to figure stuff out. If you're not sure what you believe, not sure if you're a Christian or not a Christian, not sure what you believe about Jesus, again, we'd love to have a conversation with you. So kind of in summary, if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, if you're trying to figure out if you want to follow Jesus, if you're not even sure if you do follow Jesus or not, We'd love to have a conversation with you. Simple next step, grab the connect card in front of you. Put your info on it. There's a little check the box there. You can say baptism. It says, how, how do I get baptized? Check that box, and we'll follow up with you. All right, let's take a minute or so. Feel free to connect with some folks around you, and we'll dive into the Word of God here in a minute.
All right. It's, uh, it's so good just to hear people connecting and chatting. One thing Pete didn't say is that uh, if you're joining us from online right now, there's a camera at the back of the room that most of the people you guys can't see, but I can. If you're joining us online, and we're so glad that you're with us. And uh, we just want you to know that maybe you're at home because you're sick right now. Maybe you're home just of precaution with COVID or whatever. We just want you to know if you're watching from home, you're just as much a part of this church as the people in the room, right? I've, would the people in the room agree with that, by the way? Could we all agree that together? Like, they're all nodding their heads yes. We just love that you're joining us online, and I love that we're all here, though, in person together, too. Uh, for the record, before we pray uh, again and just pray over our time in God's Word, uh, last week I did mention the idea of for a meetup of a Seahawks game, and then it magically happened. And I'm not hosting it, by the way. This isn't like a scam. Uh, someone's like, okay, I can do that. So I'd also like to throw it out there while I'm, I've got ideas. If you have a yacht or a schooner or something and would like to do a day cruise to the San Juans or a week-long cruise to Alaska, just throwing it out there as an idea. don't know if that applies to you or not. Uh, not just kidding, but seriously, meetups are going to be awesome. We'll give you dates next week of all the different ones we're doing. Hope you can join us. Um, we're going to pray. I want to I pray over a couple things. Um, Number one, I don't know if you've been keeping track on the news of what's happening in Afghanistan with the advance of the Taliban um, into more and more cities. We're not here to comment on the politics of all that, but really the reality is, is that there are Christians, our brothers and sisters, um, who, I don't know if you've realized this, like, that brothers and sisters in Christ across the world that we've never met, we share more kinship with them than we do of those who are not brothers and sisters in Christ, but may agree with us politically, ideologically, of whatever on other issues. Like, we have a spiritual family across the world, and right now that family in Afghanistan is in trouble. Uh, I saw some reports yesterday that there are some house churches in Afghanistan that had gotten letters from the Taliban saying, we know what you're doing, and we know where you are. And those Christian leaders, those church leaders, are sticking around and staying. They said, we're not going anywhere but it's going to get really dangerous for them. And so I want us to pray for them. Uh, but another thing I just want to pray for is just our time. I was thinking uh, this morning uh, about how easy it is to rush through a Sunday morning. Not just like if you're on staff or a volunteer, but even us in this room. And we can come in here out of habit and routine. And by the way, this good habit and a good routine to be in is to, to gather together with God's people or to gather online as well. And it's a great habit to get into. But if we're not careful, we can just kind of rush through what we do unthinkingly. And I Let's just, for example, talk about what we get to do right now when we get into God's Word together. We believe as Christians that there is a God who is the creator of everyone and everything. And that God has not concealed himself. He hasn't hidden himself. He has made it possible to know him. He has revealed himself in history through the things that he has done and the things that he has said. And we find those things authoritatively in this book. And so when we get together in God's word, this isn't a time where like I'm giving a TED talk or, or trying to make people laugh. That those, you know, we may have some laughter, we may have some tears, whatever. But that's not the point. The point is like when we get into this, we're trying to see what God has said and what he's done with the result that he's also speaking to us now. He has something to say to us now. And he has things he wants to do in and through us now. And so when we sit together, 
in front of the word of God, we're getting to see, yes, what he has said and done, but with the consequence that he is speaking still actively to us. And so when we're here under God's word, we're literally in front of the God of the universe getting to hear from him. What a privilege. And what a special thing. And I just want us to pray over that, that we wouldn't skate through this just to kind of get on with the rest of our day. Enjoy the beautiful weather that's now back. Praise the Lord, by the way. Like it was looking kind of zombie apocalyptic like for a few days there between the smoke and the heat and everything. Like it was looking kind of bad. We're thankful for that. But let's not skate through this just to get to the weather or anything. Let's really enjoy our time in God's word this morning. Cool? Let's pray about that. God, we do just want to right now ask on that note that you would help us to come to your word with a sense of expectation. That God, yes, you are a God who has spoken authoritatively in your word, but you are also a God who is still speaking. You want your word to speak into our lives, into our situations, into our world today as it is. It is still a timeless word, but it's also still a timely word. So speak to us now. Rivet our attention, not on me, but on you and what you're saying. And God, we do also want to pray, though, for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. And I can't imagine all that they're feeling. I haven't been there in that situation, God, but you're with them. Would you communicate your presence to them in a special way? You're everywhere, God, but you're also a God who talks about you are near the brokenhearted and the hurting, and you are near to those in trouble in a special way. So just communicate your presence to them in a special way. Give them courage. Give them courage to still stand in the midst of all that's happening around them, but do give them wisdom to know how to stand and how to walk with you in the midst of everything that is going on around them. And Lord, we just know, though, that in the history of the last thousands of years of your people, that times of persecution and suffering are not enjoyable. They're not something that we want to be in forever, but we also do know that it is often in those seasons where the gospel advances most powerfully. So Lord, use this time right now in Afghanistan and the brothers and sisters, the churches that are there to advance the gospel and advance your glory even in a time of chaos and uncertainty. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in a series called Stuff Christians Do and we're looking at stuff Christians do, right? We're going through 1 John and we're seeing just some of the big things that the Apostle John highlights are just normal things that Christians do. We, we covered things like Christians struggle with sin, Christians love, Christians are all about Jesus, Christians never get over the gospel. And today we're going to be talking about one of the things that Christians do is think. We're a thinking people and we've never, in a sense, I think, needed to be better thinkers than we are today at this stage in church history, for, for a few reasons. Number one, just the amount of information that we're exposed to all the time. We, we live in an information age, and I was looking up some data. I've been rereading a great book. I'm going to reference it a few times, called The Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken. And there's some data in there about the amount of information that is coming at us right now in this season of history. It says this, in 2020, there were 40 times more bytes of data on the internet than stars in the observable universe. Some estimates suggest that by 2025, 463 exabytes of data will be crea created each day online. Well, what's an exabyte? Okay. And five exabytes is equivalent to all the words ever spoken by humans in all of human history to this point. And by 2025, that amount of data will be created every 15 minutes. 
So as Christians, we have all this information coming at us, and, and in that information, there is truth, but there's also falsehood and error. We're also today exposed to so many competing voices, ideologies, and narratives. Well, like, what's a narrative? A narrative is a representation of, of an, a situation or an event in such a way that it reflects and conforms to a pre-established overarching set of aims, values, and beliefs. That was a mouthful. A narrative is simply you have a pre-decided way that you look at the world, and then as data or information comes your way, you assimilate that into your pre-decided viewpoint. So you look at something and you see it away naturally because you've already decided what you believe and nothing could possibly contradict it. And in fact, narratives are a big deal. I love Brett McCracken says this. I think we have this quote free on the screen. He says, I'm convinced that the biggest emerging fissure in Western culture is not necessarily between political left and right as much as those fiercely committed to reality, even when it goes against the narrative. And those who elevate the narrative, whether left or right, above reality. So we're exposed to all this information. We're exposed to competing ideologies and narratives and voices. And we can, we're exposed to all these competing truth claims. And it can be hard to be able to sort out truth from error. And if we're not careful, we as Christians will begin to believe things that really don't line up. In fact, I think we just need to own this that Christians have gotten a rap for really falling into error and falsehood very easily. Um, Chuck Colson, I don't know if you know who Chuck Colson is, um, great man of God who became a Christian, died a few years ago, but at one point, um, he was not that, at one point he was the right-hand man for Richard Nixon. And one of his jobs was to kind of court voters and people groups, and he gave this observation that in his time doing this job and kind of whining and dining people and trying to get their influence, he said the most gullible people that he would deal with were Christians and Christian leaders. And then in our day, what we see is the data tells us that Christians are among those most likely to believe conspiracy theories that have no basis of fact in them. We're the ones most likely to fall for kind of some fad that we see on social media that is not true, but yet we retweet it instantaneously or share it. Like that's the data on us. And that's kind of a sad thing because let's just talk about like the history of Christians. Think about the great thinkers in Christian history. We got people like Albert Magnus, Roger Bacon, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, Copernicus, John Napier, Kepler, Descartes, Pascal, Isaac Newton, John Lennox, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Anselm, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, among others. And like Christians, wherever we have gone the world, we've started great universities and we have brought education with us. It's just a sad thing right now that we are perceived as an unthinking people. And it's also, we got to think of it this way, like we believe in a person and a God in King Jesus who claims that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So as Christians, we want to be people who think because we want to be people of the truth because that's who the person we worship is. But again, it's getting harder and harder to discern truth from error because of all the things that I've outlined. And so what I want to do today is just help us maybe learn and navigate all that information and how to think. And the good news is this, is that in some ways, the, the world that we live in right now is new and unique. The amount of information that is coming our way and all the competing voices that we're exposed to all the time because of social media and the internet and all that. But in another sense, this isn't new. Since the beginning, Christians have had to deal with having both truth and error in front of their faces at all times. And they've had to learn how to discern those. And that's what we're going to see today in 1 John is that the people that John was writing to 
We're having to figure out and discern truth from error in their day, and they're going to kind of give us an insight of how to do it. Let's stand together and read the Word of God together. We're going to be in 1 John 4. If you have your Bibles, feel free to go there, but we'll also have it on the screen in case you just want to read it on the screen with us. This is the powerful, truthful Word of God. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, what's going on here in 1 John 4? And really what's going on in 1 John in general? Well, there was this group of people who were a part of the congregation, the church that John was writing to. But at one point they had begun to teach false doctrine and, and false ideas about Jesus. And at one point, whether they were kicked out or they left of their own accord, they left. We see this in 1 John 2, 18 through 19. John says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They, meaning these people that he labeled as the Antichrist, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And so there are these people who had been false teachers that had been part of this community but were no longer part of it, and they had been teaching false doctrine, specifically what most scholars believe is this idea that's an early form of what's called Gnosticism or Docetism. What that means is that they would teach that, yes, there was someone named Jesus. So these guys would have believed in Jesus. But what they would have said is, this Jesus only appeared to be flesh and blood human. He was not actually flesh and blood human. He appeared that way. That's the word docetism. Docetism really means to appear. So he appeared human, but he actually really wasn't. He was just a spiritual being. And because they were teaching things that were not in line with the truth about Jesus, John labels them antichrist because they were against the real Jesus. And so John here is basically saying that there are these people who are presenting false ideas to you, and you need to be careful to make sure that what they're saying is lining up with the reality of who Jesus is. Well, what does John mean here in verse 1 when he talks about to test the Spirit? Scholars are a little split. Some think that John here is referring to the, the notion, very common in the first century, and really very common still a lot of places in the world, that there's evil and good spirits out there. We would usually refer to them as angels and demons, but there's good and evil spirits that are behind ideas and thoughts. So some people think that's what John is saying. Others think that John is simply referring to the impulses of people that lead them to act in certain ways and speak in certain ways and believe in certain things. Regardless of whatever it is, I think what we can say about this phrase is that John simply wants people to know that just because someone says something is true, doesn't necessarily mean it is 
true. John here is saying that there is both truth and error in the world, and we need to think about what we're hearing, examine it, test it, to make sure it's of God and it's true. Now, there's a tension here that I think we need to like unpack, okay? On the one hand, Christians believe some really unbelievable things. Can we just say that out loud? Like, I don't know if you know this, but non-Christians think that about us all the time. Because think about this. At the end of chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, we're told this. Um, we're given this command. This is God's commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Let's think about what's behind that commandment and what we would need to believe in order to believe in Jesus, God, the Son. You would have to believe that God exists, that even though he's one God, he subsists in three persons that we call the Trinity, and yet there's still one God. You'd have to believe that one of those persons of the Trinity, even though he was God and had the same nature of God, became a baby and took on a human nature, and that while he was a baby, he was simultaneously holding the world in his hand while he's holding his mom's hand. You would have to believe, because John wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote about miracles that Jesus did, that that baby would grow up, that he would multiply fishes and loaves, that he would heal the sick, that he would resurrect the dead. You'd have to believe that that Jesus would go on and die for the sins of the world and then resurrect from the grave. We believe some pretty unbelievable things. But John here is saying, but we don't believe everything. We believe things that are true. In other words, we don't believe things as Christians just for the sake of believing. What we really care about is if what we're believing is true. I love how Robert Yarbrough puts it. He says, Christian faith is not spiritual gullibility. We're people who believe some unbelievable things, but we believe them because we actually believe they're true. But because not everything is true, we don't believe everything. I, I think this is a good way to put it. I, I think I have a graphic that we're going to put on the screen that kind of explains maybe the way that Christians think about things and how we think about truth. Okay, let's start with Christians love God. Okay? That God created reality. Reality meaning just simply what is existing in the world and what's true. Like what is actually here. Therefore, Christians love reality. If we love God and if God created reality, we therefore love reality because we care about what God cares about and we care about what's real. And by the way, reality really matters. Like an illustration, I don't know if I've used it with this group before, but um, talk about why reality matters. If I write a love letter to my wife and I say, babe, I just love your long blonde hair. I love that you're six feet tall and your beautiful blue eyes, my wife would be really ticked at me. Do you know why? Because if you haven't seen my wife, she's not six feet. She's more like 5'1 or 5'2. She has dark hair and dark eyes. My wife would be thinking that I'm having an affair. Reality matters. Reality matters. I could give plenty of other examples. That's just one. Christians love reality. Therefore, Christians love the truth. Well, why do we love the truth? Because the idea of something being true is a simple definition. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Now, this is an important point I'm going to make right here. At their best, and listen, Christians, we're not always at our best. At our best, Christians love and care about the truth, not because we want to be right, but because we want what's real. Let me say that again. Christians at our best care about and want to know and believe and tell others the truth, not because we want to be right, but because we want what's real. We want to believe and live in light of reality. 
Well, here is a reality. The world is full of truth and error. John said that at the end of that passage. And because it's full of truth and error, therefore, Christians must think. We must be people who don't blindly accept whatever the world throws at us. But we must think through and sort through what we're actually seeing. I wrote this down. Faith examines its object before putting confidence in it. So we need to be a thinking people who examine what we believe, but also examine what's coming at us and try to sort out truth from error. Now, I want to go back here in a second to 1 John and kind of give you two ways that John gives us to do that. So John, in this passage, there's a few times, I don't know if you caught it, but he says, by this, you know, the spirit of God. By this, you know, the spirit of truth and error. He gives two ways to know and to be able to test the truth claims that come at us, two ways to think. And I want to get there, but I, I thought it was important to stop for a second and just maybe make a few notes on what I just said and what we're about to say, okay? Number one, I'm just going to say this out loud. What I have just said and what we're about to say is unpopular. We live in a world that increasingly is a your truth world, live your truth, proclaim your truth, you do you, I'll do me. And so the line of thinking that I just said, which is that there is one reality and therefore, there is one truth that aligns reality, and not everything that is believed or said is true really ticks people off. Part of that is we just have to know that. But here's what's interesting. I don't know if you know this. As much as people get frustrated with Christians or anyone others who then try to make a truth claim in the world, everybody is making truth claims. Let me give you a superficial example of this from a few years ago. Um, there was a dress that became really popular on social media a couple years ago. I think we have a picture of it up on the screen potentially. Anybody remember this dress right here? Does anyone remember this? Um, right, how many people, just for the record, saw or are seeing right now a golden white dress? How many of you? Okay. How many of you saw a blue and black dress? Okay, a few of you as well. If you don't have no idea what I'm referring to, there is this image that went around, uh, I think about four or five years ago. It's simply called The Dress. Like if you Google The Dress on Wikipedia, the article is called The Dress, okay? And so what happened was there was this image going around and people were split because some people, when they looked at that image, they saw that the dress was gold and white. And other people, when they saw it, they saw the dress was black and blue. And people got ticked at each other if you were in the wrong camp. It's like, how could you possibly think that's a golden white dress? What are you, an idiot? People would actually seriously say this on things. Like, I thought it was going to split families, split nations, split the world in half just over this dress. But what's interesting about it is a few things. Number one, wasn't it interesting that in a you do you, you believe your truth world, the second someone disagreed with them about something as silly as a dress, people all of a sudden believed in one objective truth, Right? But what's also interesting, this is like, to me, this is a great um, almost commentary in our culture is we could easily say, well, hey, this is actually the whole point, right? It's like, you see it from your perspective, I see it from my perspective, we're both right. The problem with that, and I hate to break it to the golden white people, the dress was actually black and blue. That they did research, and part of what was happening was this trick on our eyes that kind of make us see different things, but they went to the people who actually sold the dress, and it was a black and blue dress. But to me, again, it was just this example of even though we want to say, oh, all truth is relative, believe whatever you want to believe, the second you disagree with someone, that all hits the fan very quickly. <laughs> I think another thing that's been interesting is over the last 18 months, people do not believe in relative truth right now. Have you noticed that? We're not going to get into these, but I'm just going to mention some topics. Don't you dare let your mind wander. Just stick with me. Masks, the election, racial injustice and theories and everything. Those are just three. 
We live in a your truth world, but right now, you pick any of those issues, there is only one truth, depending on what side you're on, right? My point in this is this, is as unpopular as this can be, I actually think it's popular for people. I think people know in their hearts that there is truth out there. The question is, what's the source of their truth? And increasingly, we want to live in a world where I'm the source of truth. But as Christians, we say, no, 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 this is our source of truth. Okay. Now, I think, let me just give one more because we're running out of time here. Um, I do want us to be careful with what we're about to say for another reason. If we're not careful, Christians can become very cynical and very cold about how we talk about truth. And we can become very judgmental. And so when I give these things about how we're, as Christians, are supposed to think and how we're supposed to go to God's word and think through things, the point of this is not to make us theological Gestapo, right? We're not supposed to be the theological police that the second you say something I don't agree with, well, wait a second, no, no, you're wrong, you're an error, you're a heretic. Please don't start doing that, okay? That's not the point. Now, with those things being said, let's go to two things that I think John gives us for how we're supposed to think as Christians. Number one, Christians think by considering the content of what's being said. Let's read verses two through three again. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, again, John is alluding here to a heresy that was growing. And I want us to kind of look at what John is doing here. On the one hand, like what you could say from this is John gives them what we would call the Christological test. That's a fancy way of basically John saying, hey, ultimately, what do people, whenever they give you a truth or an idea, what do these people think about Jesus? And that is, by the way, the greatest test. If you're, if you're trying to look at um, an ideological claim or a narrative or whatever, the ultimate question you always have to come back to is, what do you say about Jesus? But here's what I'm going to say is, I, I actually think that's not the only thing John's doing here. I think that what John is doing here is he's responding to a specific teaching that the false prophets that he referred to were saying. So I think he's literally saying, hey, if they say this, that's an error because we, don't, we know that Jesus was actually here in the flesh. If you don't remember in 1 John chapter 1, John starts off by saying, what we have seen and touched and beheld with our own eyes, this, our own eyes, this we proclaim to you. So I think John here is going to a specific content of their teaching, and then he's saying this does not align with reality. Because I don't know if you know this, but there's actually people in the world who would agree with what John just said, that Jesus was the Son of God come in the flesh, they would agree with that completely, but yet they would believe some really out there things. An example for me that sticks out from a few years ago, um, there's a guy named Harold Camping. You may not recognize that name, but you probably recognize the story from a few years ago. Harold Camping um, kind of owned this radio organization, this Christian radio organization, and a few years ago he became famous because he told everybody that the world was going to end, I believe, on May 11, 2011. You guys remember this now a little bit? Spreads like wildfire, gets all over the news eventually and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? We're still here, obviously. Um, and so it's exposed that, hey, he was wrong. But the point is, like, Harold Camping would have believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he came in the flesh, everything John just said. But then Harold Camping was also putting out some stuff that was not in line with the truth of Scripture's the reason I'm saying all that is this, is I think what John is getting at more, instead of just this one test being the only test for someone, I think more what John is saying is, you have to look at the content of what people are saying 
and then line it up against Scripture. To me, the best example of this is um, from a group of people called the Bereans in Acts 17. Let me read this for us. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women, I mean, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So there's these people called the Bereans, and the Apostle Paul goes and proclaims the gospel to them. But notice what it says. They eagerly received it. Not that they automatically believed it, they received what they said. And then what did it say? They went to the scriptures and examined what they said in light of what was in this. They then saw that what Paul was saying was in this. And so then it says, therefore they believed. That's the model of how we have to interact with the content that we see in our world. And all the stuff that is going at us, we slow down. We think about what are they saying? Then we go to this and we say, what does this say? And then we make decisions of what we need to do with the stuff that's coming at us. Now, I want to give you three just very practical filters that you can use as you're doing this. Okay, this, I did not make this up. This is something that I heard a few years back, but it's been so helpful to me. Three filters as you're doing that. As you're going to God's word and you're listening to what come, is coming at you, you're trying to filter it all. Three filters. You can re- reject it, receive it, or redeem it. Reject, receive, redeem. When you hear a truth claim, you can reject it, receive it, or redeem it. Reject. There are some things that are just blatantly false, and you got to reject it. When Harold Camping said, I know the exact time that Jesus is coming back, you can reject that. Why? Because in the Bible, it says no one knows the day or the hour. Now, by the way, to Harold Camping's credit, after it didn't happen, he repented and said, I was wrong. He said, the Bible says we can't know the hour. I was wrong. But when we hear things, if it outright goes against what we see in God's word, we reject it. Receive. There are some things in the world that are true, that Scripture affirms, or if it doesn't speak to the thing directly, it doesn't contradict it either. And we can receive it. Here, here's a phrase that I love. All truth is God's truth. So let me just say, if science finds something out that's true in the world, I can receive that. It doesn't threaten me, because all truth is God's truth. But there's a final category, and that's redeem. There are some things that are going to come at us in this world, pieces of information, ideologies, narratives, And what we have to do sometimes is see, hey, there's an element of truth in what they're saying. But there's some elements of falsehood or it's pointed in the wrong direction. So I need to redeem it by taking the kernel of truth that's in there and pointing it in the right direction. To me, the greatest example of this is also in the book of Acts in Acts 17 with the Apostle Paul. Paul is addressing the Athenians. And at one point, he's trying to explain God to him and the gospel to these people who had no access to the Hebrew scriptures. And so he's trying to use ideas from their culture and their way of thinking. And he says this, your own poets say we are his offspring. Now, Paul, when he says that, he's referring to the God of the scriptures. But do you know who the original author of that poet, his name was Eretus, was referring to? Zeus. Now, does Paul believe in Zeus? No. What Paul was getting at was, hey, you believe, one of your own poets have said, that we are the offspring, the creations of God. You're right. But your knowledge is incomplete. Let me point you to Jesus. So there's some things that we reject. There's some things that we receive. There's some things that we redeem. By the way, if you're like, man, this is hard work. Yeah, 
It is. That's the point. Part of thinking well is slowing down and really evaluating everything we hear in light of this book. So we examine the content, we consider the content. Number two, the second thing, Christians think by considering the source of what's being said. I want to put the verses four through six on the screen in such a way that I really want to highlight the first part of the verse. I think if you can see it with me on the screen, you'll kind of see what uh, John is doing here. The start of each sentence in verses four through six starts with a personal pronoun. Let's go through them um, together. Let's put the first one up there. Uh, and I'll go a little bit further, a little bit later. I think there's going to be a series of passages at the end, series of things at the end. I think I just heard enough. There we go. Verse 4, you are from God and have overcome them. Who's the them? It was the false teachers he's referring to. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Before we go to the next thing, let me just, I love that encouragement. He says, hey, you haven't given in to the false ideas that you're hearing to the false information you're hearing. But he says, hey, it's not because you're so smart and awesome and you think so well. He says, it's because God is in you. What an encouragement to us. That yes, we need to learn to think well, but ultimately what is going to keep us in the truth is the power of the Holy Spirit. So I say that because as we're thinking and as we're evaluating everything and going to the scriptures in light of what we're hearing and seeing, we have to also be praying, oh, Holy Spirit, keep me in the truth. Don't let me fall into error. I need you. So you are from God. But next, we then see they are from the world, the false teachers. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. John says, listen, they're not from God. They say things that don't line up with reality. And things they say the world loves. Because the world, by the way, in that time, uh, Greek culture, Roman culture, they thought that all of physical existence was evil. And that the point of life was to escape physical existence. So these teachers who were saying, yeah, Jesus really was not a physical person. He was a spiritual being. Man, people would have loved that. But John didn't care about what was appealing or people loved. He cared about what was real. And they weren't lining up with that. So you were from God. They were from the world. And let's see the next one. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So do you see it now? You are from God. They are from the world. We are from God. John is simply saying, listen, you're from God. You're born of God. We're born of God. We, and the we here, most people think is John and the other apostles, the people who actually interacted with Jesus. They say, hey, we're from God too, and we're giving you the truth of what we've seen and heard with our own eyes. They're not from the same source that we are. So John is simply saying, hey, like, what source of truth and information are you going to go with? John is simply saying, hey, pick the right source. So let, let me ask us, what sources of truth and wisdom are we prioritizing in our lives? There's a lot of them, right? You got Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, CNN, Fox News, Newsmax, a favorite blogger. You've got things like the Bible and you've got things like your church. But here's my question for us. is like, if you had to rank them in your own life, not what should be the order of priorities of what you listen to and what you evaluate truth from, but what is true in terms of how much you actually watch these things and consume these things, what is your source of truth and wisdom? 
I, I love Brett McCracken. Again, I referenced him earlier. I think he gives such a helpful, helpful thing for maybe reevaluating and reconfiguring our sources of wisdom and truth. He came up with something called the Wisdom Pyramid. I think Rob has introduced this to you guys before. I just thought it was the right time to bring it back. Um, what the Wisdom Pyramid is, I think we're going to have it here on the screen here in just a second. Um, do you remember the Food Pyramid from when you were a kid? The idea of the food pyramid is basically they were trying to help you understand, hey, what should you eat the most of and the least of? And so at the very bottom of the pyramid were the more healthier things, the things that needed to be the main things in your diet. And then at the very top were things like fats and sugars. And it wasn't that you couldn't have any, it's just it wasn't the stuff you needed to have the most of. And what Brett McCracken basically did with the wisdom pyramid, and if you can't see it, I'll kind of walk you through it. And by the way, we're going to put this image out there on social media in the loop for you to get. Is he said, hey, there's a wisdom pyramid that we need to keep in mind when we're talking about our sources of truth. At the very bottom, if you can't see it, is the Bible. He says, that's got to be your primary source of truth and wisdom in the world. Above that is the church. Now, what Brett points out is really the first two are the only sources of wisdom you absolutely need and have to have. But he does go on to say, listen, things like nature, that's the next wrong, has a lot to teach us. Psalm 19 uses nature about how the heavens, the physical heavens, declare the glory of God. Then there's books, beauty, and then finally at the very, very top, internet and social media. <laughs> but what Brett points out is this, is usually for a lot of us, guess what? This pyramid is inverted. Where for so many of us, the primary sources of wisdom and truth that we go to are the internet and social media, and the things we consult least are the church, and most of all, most importantly, the Word of God. And I love, Brett goes on, he talks about how we really have three bad eating habits as Christians. We can eat too much of what's wrong. That kind of goes into the idea of inverting the pyramid. We eat too fast. So even like when we're in the Bible, we just get through as fast as we can, we go on. We eat too fast, and we eat only what tastes good to me. So what Brett is really challenging us, what I'm telling us is, hey, let's make sure we have the right sources of wisdom in our lives. Okay, now, I've given you a lot, and I know I have, and I've tried to be as helpful as I can, be as practical as I can. Like, I just kind of wrote down this question in my notes. Okay, so like, what now? So we consider the content, we consider the sources, but like, how do we walk this forward as individuals, as in as a church? I've given you a lot. I, I just wrote down a few things that I think we need to do. Number one, I think we got to begin prioritizing the right narrative. Scripture, not a political narrative, not an ideological narrative, not a cultural narrative, but the scriptural narrative has to be the biggest thing for us. If we get to the point where a non-scriptural narrative, political, cultural, ideological, is the biggest thing for us, and our side is never wrong, and then we use the Bible to justify the narrative we belong to, we have made the Bible subservient to that narrative instead of that narrative subservient to the Bible. And what that means, by the way, is that when things come at us in this world, especially when we're talking about narratives and ideologies, there's going to be both truth and error mixed in all of them. And we're going to have to learn, learn to sort them out. Here's the other thing I wrote down. If people in our lives begin to associate us with a political or cultural or ideological narrative more than the scriptural narrative, we've probably lost our priorities a little bit. If when someone looks at me, they say, oh, that's the fill in the blank. 
political affiliation. Oh, he believes in blank. If their first thought is, man, the word of God is most important to him. Man, Christ is most important. We've probably lost our priorities. So number one, I think we need to prioritize the right number narrative. Number two, I think we need to practice patience in our thinking. Thinking well is slow work. Because think about what we've said already. You've got to slow down and consider the content. You've got to slow down and consider the source. We love hot takes in our world. We love immediately pushing retweet or pushing share on Facebook. Thinking well means slowing down. Have you ever noticed that the best food usually takes longer to cook? Like you can get a hot pocket in two minutes, and you're probably going to pay for it afterwards, okay? You can get a hot pocket in two minutes, but you know what? Fall off the bone ribs and pork shoulder takes hours. A good mole, I don't know if you're into Spanish and Mexican food like I am, but a good mole takes days. One of the best restaurants in the world for their mole, over a month to make, okay? Some of the best food takes a long time time in the same way when we're talking about a wisdom and truth diet if we're going to think well we need to think slow slow down when you see something on the internet or social media you see something in the news don't automatically believe it and share it slow down think about their content go to the word think about the source think number three we need to think in a diverse community big problem I think we have in our world right now is I'm the source of wisdom and truth. I know what's best. I think what we really need is a source of good community that can sharpen your ideas and thoughts. When you're in a diverse community, in other words, not an echo chamber where everyone agrees with you. And let me just as an aside say that one of the things that I love about Redeemer is like I, I've come here for the first you know, couple months and people said, ah, there's been a little tension in the past months because people are really different in regards to some things. And I said, oh, that's awesome. It's tense sometimes, right? That's awesome. You know why? Because people from different perspectives, if we're willing to engage in dialogue with each other, we sharpen each other. And yes, when iron sharpens iron, sparks are going to fly but I think it's worth it. And so the things I wrote down with this specifically are, I think this is why the local church is so important. Did you notice that it, when it said the Bereans got together and they talked about it? I don't know if you knew this, but people in that time didn't have their own individual Bibles. So when it says that the Bereans got together and looked at the, scripture, the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was so, it means the community got together and they thought together. So as you're filtering out sources of information in your world, get together with other believers in the local church. I think another thing is think in the context of the historical church community, meaning all of church history. One of my favorite uh, quotes that I've ever seen is this, tradition is the democracy of the dead. And so in other words, like if you begin to believe some things that the, no one in the historical church has ever believed, you should probably stop because the dead have a vote too. So that's how we sharpen each other in diverse community. Now, I wrote this in like, what if I'm not a thinker? I know some of you may be out there and thinking, I'm not much of a thinker. Like, that's not what I do. I'm not like you, and I like to read and think about this stuff all the time. That's just not what I do. I'm not much of a thinker. Number one, God has wired us differently. I admit that. But I would also say to some of you who think that, don't sell yourself short. John was originally a fisherman. 
blue-collar worker. And yet look at what God did with his mind as he thought about and consumed the truth of God's word. Okay. Number two, I'd say this. If you are wired in a way that you're not as much the person who likes to think really intensely and long about this kind of stuff, then it is so important that your wisdom pyramid is correct, and it is so important that you think in community. Otherwise, you might fall into some destructive errors. Finally, this. As we're thinking, as we're filtering all these sources of information that are coming to us, I just want to encourage us. Let's remember the why. Remember at the very top of that diagram that I showed you earlier that Christians love God? Well, think about the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We want to be a people who think well because we want to be a people who love God well. And we want to love God well because, as we're going to see in a few weeks in 1 John, we love God because God first loved us and sent his son for us. But because of that, we now, in response to God's love for us, want to love God by thinking of him well with our minds and thinking of his world well with our minds. So here's what I want to do. We're going to pray and then I'm going to lead us into communion. But listen, I knew that this was going to be kind of a different sermon. I didn't want this to be a woohoo, rah rah, like inspiration. I really wanted to give you some stuff to chew on. And that was deliberate, by the way. If we were going to talk about how to think well, it was going to be weird if we didn't stop and really methodically go through some of this stuff. But here's what I want to do I want us to pray. And then here's my challenge to all of us today. If you took some notes, especially, I encourage you take some time this afternoon, tonight, and do a couple things. Just think about what you've heard. And I'd even encourage you, think about what I said and say, man, is there anything that Paul said that doesn't seem to line up with this? Begin putting that in practice. And I'd say, spend some time today, and I want you to really go back to that wisdom pyramid. I think we'll send it out on social media today or tomorrow, but you can just Google it by Brett McCracken, and you can find it easily. And really think about, hey, if I had to make a pyramid of my sources of truth and wisdom right now, what would it actually be? And let's pray for the grace that we would prioritize the things that God would prioritize. Let's pray. God, thank you so, so much for our time in your word. Lord, we want to be a people who think well. We want to be a people of truth in a world with so much error and falsehood. But God, I want to pray for our hearts again, that we would not do it out of this attitude and motivation of, well, we want to be the ones that are right. God, give us a heart that simply wants to love you well. That wants to love your world well because that we need to think rightly about you and about your world. God, I pray for all of us in this room that maybe if there is some error that we believe about you or about your world, Lord, would you just expose that? Would you show us the error of our thinking? God, maybe if, if we've been a little too fast to share things on social media or with our friends that we haven't really stopped and thought through to confirm if they're true, oh Lord, would you just change our hearts and our habits? God, right now, we just want to also just come to you and say that, Lord, our hope was the hope of John when he talked to his people. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in you who is in us and your greater than the world, and you're greater than the lies of the world. So we run to you for grace right now. Give us grace to think well. 
God, now as we go into communion, would you just help us to run to you? Lord, I don't know where my church family has been all week, but I know that no matter where they've been and what they've been going through, they need you. They need your grace. So may they find it in this time. It is your name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we do every week, we are going to have just a time of communion. And if this is a new thing for you, number one, if you're new with us, or maybe you're new to kind of doing communion every week, this is a time where we just, again, stop and, in a sense, think. We stop and reflect on all that Jesus has done for us. So we're going to have a time of worship. And as you feel led, take communion. For you, it might just be sitting in your seat for a few minutes. And by the way, we have some communion on the side that if you don't have it, you can go grab it right now. But for maybe for if it's you, you just need to sit and think for a minute. Maybe you actually need to worship. Maybe you need to stand and worship to get your heart in a good place before God and then take communion. But whatever it is, when you feel led, take communion, and then we'll continue to worship together.